This is Lab Medicine Rounds, a curated podcast for physicians, laboratory professionals, and students. I'm your host, Justin Kreuter, the Bowtie Bandit of Blood, a transfusion medicine pathologist at Mayo Clinic. Today, we're rounding with Dr. Joseph Yao, Associate Professor of Medicine and Laboratory Medicine and Pathology, Assistant Professor of Microbiology at Mayo Clinic. And today, we're going to be talking about lessons learned from navigating the current COVID-19 pandemic, because Dr. Yao is the medical director for the lab that was really navigating and doing the COVID testing for Mayo Clinic labs, as well as serving as the backup lab for our local practice here in Rochester, Minnesota. Thanks for joining us today, Dr. Yao. Thank you, Dr. Kurter. I wanted to take this time as we've been into navigating this pandemic for a little bit and we don't learn from experience, we really learn from reflecting on experience. And so I wanted this episode to be a little bit of a reflection today on what we've gone through with COVID. And I'm kind of curious, you know, from your point of view, why is it important from four labs to learn from their COVID-19 experiences? Yes, certainly. And thank you for the opportunity to share our experience and lesson learned during the past year and a half during this COVID-19 pandemic. I think that it's important for all clinical labs who have tackled and coped with uh, COVID-19 during the past year and a half so that they can look at current gaps in their lab operations. What I mean is looking at pre-analytical and post-analytical workflow in the laboratory. This involves personnel resources, training, gaps in supply chain, IT support, both for the test ordering side, the test reporting and result processing, any quality metrics that are looking at the performance of the test, the reliability and reproducibility of the test results that can be improved for better operation after the current pandemic ends. So during this year and a half, we had to make a lot of adjustments, especially in pre and post analytical workflow. One of the example we learned, which we thought could not be done, was actually have a single orderable test code. So makes it easy for our providers and our clients in the field. So they don't have to remember which test is by which method. But behind the scene, once the test code arrives in our system, we have an IT way to distribute the 10,000 specimens we receive in one day into three or four different test methods. So behind the scene, we can spread them out among the four teams, each perform a different test method. But then on the IT side, we can report out the exact method as a reporting method comment. So that was actually a first in our group's experience. And so not only it's flexible for us to adjust our test volume based on availability of lab personnel, consumables, assay reagents for that day or that week, but it's also very provider client friendly because they don't have to remember what are these four different test method they have to choose. 
Wow, I could see that. It's very flexible that what you've built in there. And just so that all of our listeners are kind of up to speed with this, I imagine that, you know, like you're saying, reagents might change or because of supply chain issues or whatnot. And I mean, I, I could see that being a headache if somebody ordered one test, but that test is actually down, and but there's something else that's filling in. And so that sort of a lot of times we're talking about being patient focused and when we're talking about pathologists being the physician's physician, I think like you're saying, making it easy on that ordering physician, especially that on the back end, when it gets reported out, it's really important that we know what type of method was, was used to do our tests. So it was just one example that you gave us on this framework on how we can think about our gaps. And I could see that as kind of helping us going forward for flexibility with future pandemics. Did you have any other kind of lessons learned from this experience? Yes. Another example that I can come up with is frequent meetings with the stakeholder. And that's a key. And I think it's kind of like crisis management, isn't it? Whether you have an outbreak or where you have a major catastrophe, either at a local level, or in this case, it's a national level. Initially, during the first six months, we have daily meetings with our lab management. And then we have three times a week management with the stakeholders, mainly the providers who are seeing patients with COVID and institutional leadership. And then with our own department, we have twice a week meeting because they have to provide the resources, IT resources, funding to get instruments, remodeling of the lab to allow space to house these big automated instruments to do high throughput testing. A lesson learned is that there are multiple meetings and stakeholders need to be at the table. And it's not just within the institution. We have also weekly meetings with our vendors and there are multiple vendors because it's not just one vendor supplying one kit. So we were doing four different test methods from four different vendors. So we have weekly meetings with each one of them. And also there are consumables that make pipette tips, which are in a shortage. And also with our purchasing group who has to place these orders. I would say in the first six months of the pandemic, probably 80% of my calendars were meetings relating to COVID. And then my, uh, my 20% left is for the other things I'm supposed to do 100% of the time. <laughs> okay. I'm so glad that you brought this up, Dr. Yao. So I think for a lot of us listening, I think there's some socks that you can buy that say, you know, like death by meetings. And, and there's certainly lots of business books written about how to run meetings, something that I'm just fascinated by, and I understand during a dynamic phase why it's important to have these frequent meetings, but how are these meetings focused on maintaining a high quality and not just being like a required time investment? And then how did you also do all the other things? I mean, you guys in the midst of all these meetings, you're inventing new tests and bringing them to market in record time. I'm curious if you could kind of explain it for our audience, because whether it's clinicians or students or uh, laboratory professionals, I mean, all of us have to sort of manage ourselves with meetings. Yeah, a good question. And I think we were partially saved by the fact that there were 
other than COVID patients showing up at the clinic or hospitals, all other patients for other diseases have dramatically dropped down to almost zero. So hospitalization for non-COVID has dropped to zero. All elective surgery or clinic visits were dropped down to zero. So we have actually less demand for the non-COVID related tests in my area, hepatitis HIV, were down to 20% at the most of their usual monthly volume. Our personnel can then, who are normally performing those serologic or molecular tests, are diverted. Uh, while we recruit more staff to do the tremendous increase in COVID-related testing. Um, so that's one. And then on a work responsibility standpoint, I was fortunate to have, and still am, fortunate to have colleagues in our group of seven. Many of them took up portions of the work that I would have normally done. So biosafety, we have somebody in our group says, I'm going to take over biosafety, um, including for your lab. Because one of the concern is when we're working with these highly infectious material, what kind of precautions or advice we should give. And if, if there's an event of an exposure, what needs to be done? And then I have a colleague who will take over for supply chain to help mitigate some of those issues and help inform us so I don't have to go to every meeting. And then I have a colleague who would take care of my serologic tests, which are already volume is quite down, so that she can take care of any client inquiries or provider inquiries about those. So I think the lesson learned from there is actually we need to work as a team and be flexible and don't be afraid to ask for help because one is not alone in this fight in the pandemic. Yeah, it's brilliant. I think, you know, that's also particularly for those that are younger in their careers, newer on faculty. I think that raising their hand and saying they're overwhelmed is a particularly hard challenge for them to do. And I think it's wonderful when somebody like yourself, who's more experienced as a senior clinician, can role model that for the rest of us. For more laboratory education, including a listing of conferences, webinars, and on-demand content, visit mayocliniclabs.com forward slash education. One of the things in your answer you're talking about, it sounds like almost like a, a mono focus, your other testing going down to maybe 20% of what it was. And so during that period, it makes now a little bit more sense between that and sharing the workload as a team, how you're able to have all those meetings added to your calendar and continue to do the level best for our patients. I'm curious, now that I'm assuming that the testing levels are coming back up, has some of those lessons from that experience of how those meetings were run? Is there anything that you're taking forward uh, in your lab meetings, for example, that you hadn't been doing before COVID, but having gone through that experience together, there's something that you're going to keep going forward? Yes, definitely. I think one most important lesson that we've learned and brought up in every meeting now is 
the supply chain. <laughs> because, you know, prior to COVID, we assumed that we can get whatever we want as, as soon as we put in our purchase order. With COVID-19 pandemic, we now know that we need to give our vendor partner, who is a stakeholder in this, plenty of time of notice that there will be a change in our ordering or a test volume so that they can be better prepared. Mm. And so we still now have, instead of weekly, we now have monthly meetings with all our vendors. And they appreciate that too, because they need that information to look at their inventory and plan efficiently for their production and logistics in getting those to us. Because they wanted us to be successful, because if we're successful, we will continue to use their product. And that's how they can generate revenue. I see. What do you think, given the fact that we've got our clinicians that are listening to this podcast, what do you think about those relationships between the laboratory and physicians? You mentioned that during the pandemic, you had very frequent meetings with them. And I know you very, we work very closely on the clinical side. What have you heard from your clinical colleagues about what they've come to maybe appreciate about the laboratory that they hadn't beforehand or something that they learned about the laboratory that they're now taking forward in their practice? Yeah, I can think of two things in the past year and a half that they have really appreciated from the lab. And one is close communication with them whenever there's a change in the test method that could affect the performance of the tests and affects interpretation of the test results. An example would be uh, differences in the uh, test method, PCR versus non-PCR method, like an antigen test, which is a serologic-based test, or some of the rapid molecular tests that do not require extraction or purification of the sample to get viral RNA for testing. They come to appreciate that because of the differences in method, there may be discordances in result. Today was positive, yesterday was negative, or vice versa. Well, that's because it's a different method in testing. That's one thing. The other thing is timing of the specimen obtained for testing. So there are some individuals, because of their circumstances or their job, required them to be tested serially. So they could be tested negative on Friday, but then Monday, even though they're still asymptomatic, they're becoming positive. Well, why is that? Then that's because of exposure. During the first five days after exposure, we don't expect even the most sensitive molecular test to be positive. Mm -hmm. And so they don't actually start to get a hold in the respiratory tract for viral replication until at least five days after exposure to get a positive molecular test. So I think communications about those and what are the factors that affect sensitivity of the tests. So timing from the time of exposure, specimen quality, how the specimens were uh, obtained, and also test method. So I think that they appreciate us communicating all these nuances to them so that they can better understand and interpret the test results and care for their patients. 
Love that. It sounds like they're really even more sophisticated consumers of this laboratory information. I want to close and bring this episode in thinking about the joy that you experience in your professional role. Because I think, you know, there are students that are listening to this podcast, and I think it's very simple. A lot of times physicians talking about the joy they feel is they can recall, a lot of us can recall patients that we've helped uh, directly. And in laboratory medicine and pathology, there's a lot of patients that we're helping indirectly. And I'm curious to hear in your words, through this pandemic and such, what's been your joy? How have you kept your heart full so that you could continue to work as hard as you have through this pandemic? Yeah, I'm probably the worst person to discuss work-life balance, (laughs) at least from my uh, wife's standpoint. (laughs) But I can share with you that I'm still happily married, fortunately. (laughs) And so I think it's important to share your experiences with family, whether it's a bad day or a good day, so that they can understand what you're going through. One thing I've learned also is that no matter how busy, how tired you are, do take some time out for yourself, whether it's for dinner with the family or go for a hike. And I've actually hiked almost three times a month during the pandemic for a year and a half to kind of clear your mind. And also sometimes you can still think of things that reflect on what has happened over the past week. And maybe you'll start out with a fresher mind for the following week. Be optimistic is the other thing, is that there will be light down the tunnel. You're not in it alone. There's family and colleagues at work in the same boat who can help you. I think that's a beautiful way to sum up this reflective episode. Dr. Yao, thank you so much. Dr. Joseph Yao, reflecting with us on lessons learned from navigating the current pandemic. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for the invitation and glad to share my experience. Looking forward to future podcasts with you. We're bringing you back. (laughs) To all of our listeners, thank you for joining us today. We invite you to share your thoughts and suggestions via email. Please direct any suggestions to mcleducation at mayo.edu. If you've enjoyed Lab Medicine Rounds podcast, please follow or subscribe. Until our next rounds together, we encourage you to continue to connect lab medicine and the clinical practice through insightful conversations. Thank you.